When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this episode is going to be about two albums, that's Lives in the Balance and World in Motion, both of which came out in the back half of the 80s and cover pretty similar ground. A quick note, this series is actually closer to its end than it might seem. The remaining albums are going to be done in pairs, so you'll have I'm Alive and Looking East next week, and you'll get The Naked Ride Home and Time the Conqueror the week after that. And that gets us pretty close to present day. Definitely check them out, and let's enjoy these final few weeks we have together. I'm going to introduce Lives in the Balance right now, and then midway through the conversation, I'll jump in and introduce World in Motion as well. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at CoxJustin, or email me at justincox22 at gmail.com. Lives in the Balance came out in August of 1986 and is Jackson Brown's eighth full-length album. It hit number 23 on the Billboard 200 chart, and to my great amusement, reached number two on the Swedish charts, for reasons I would love to know. The Rolling Stone review for the album was written by Jimmy Guterman, who begins, Jackson Brown wants to know what went wrong. He's seen the heady activism of an era wither and die. He has only recently taken note in his material of the world around him. Much of his 70s work found him drowning in a fountain of sorrow and self-pity. He spent much of the last two years putting his own life in order, but he also took an active interest in the world outside of his Los Angeles home. Visiting Nicaragua and covering an overtly political song like Little Stephen Van Zant's I Am a Patriot. And you'll note that I Am a Patriot actually finds its way onto the second album we'll talk about today, World in Motion, which is kind of cool. As a result, Latin America and the U.S. government's meddling therein dominates Lives in the Balance both lyrically and musically. Five of the album's eight songs allude to violence south of our border. For Brown, our crimes in Central America are the clearest example of the wrongheadedness of U.S. foreign policy. He didn't place an image of the Statue of Liberty on the cover of the album just so that he could jump on the Rambo Express. He implies throughout the album that, like the statue, we're all weather-beaten and in need of some reconstruction. Jackson Brown no longer believes he can change the world. The closing track, Black and White, is drenched in defeatism. Long before you ever saw your chances You were gonna burn the city down Tired of the fashions and the dances But he doesn't use his fatalism as a crutch or a reason to quit. Sure, time is running out, but it's not over yet. And now to my guest today, she is Holly Gleason, who you hopefully heard on the Running on Empty episode, which was one of my favorites for sure. Holly is a longtime music writer for a long list of publications that you know, and an editor of the award-winning book Women Walk the Line, How the Women of Country Music Changed Our Lives. You can find Holly online at hollygleason.com, H-O-L-L-Y-G-L-E-A-S-O-N.com. Holly's love for Jackson Brown started with Running on Empty. Fast forward about eight years and we find her landing her first interview with Jackson Brown as a budding music writer in her early 20s. This episode jumps right in with her telling a pretty glorious story about that first interview. I'll catch you about halfway through to tee up World in Motion. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Ran away with a surfer from her most money. Queen 
crazy. I loved Jackson Brown and I wanted to talk to him. And by virtue of the fact that I was in South Florida and I wrote for the Cox newspaper chain and El Salvador and much of Central America was such an integral piece of what he was writing about with Lives in the Balance, having plagued the publicist at Electra, I was told that if I could get the Miami News to pick up the interview, Jackson Brown would talk to me. And I mean, this was after calls every three weeks going, is there any way, is he talking? Yeah. Like they joke, like they knew when the call came in, oh God, she's calling to ask about this interview <laughs> again. And, you know, they were, they were super nice and they were super directed. And they said, he's going to talk to Newsweek at one thirty. And at 2.15, we can probably give you 30 minutes. And I was like, yes, (laughs) yes. It was Valentine's Day, um, which, you know, could you think of a better Valentine for, um, I think, a 21-year-old girl who had lived inside these records? So it comes the appointed date and time and my mother was visiting friends um, on an island literally with a drawbridge and the traffic was bad and I didn't make the bridge. So I have to sit in traffic as all these cars pile up and all these big boats go sailing by hoping to God the guy from Newsweek is long. And finally the bridge goes down. I fly over it. I take a hard right. I go three blocks. I take a hard left. I literally park on the street, run upstairs. And my mother with the cigarette right at a perfect 90 degree angle looks at me and goes, your little friend called. <laughs> I spoke to him. And it's that Wayne's Ward moment of, ah! And I said, well, okay, but did you explain? And she goes, yes, I told him that the bridge was up and you would be here shortly. I go, well, is he going to call back? And she goes, yes, I believe so. <sighs> Long drag. And she looks at me and she goes, just don't you think this is a bit much? <laughs> and, you know, this is a woman who didn't understand what I did for a living until the day Willie Nelson called the house for an interview for the highwaymen. Cool. And then she's like, these people respect you. And I'm like, yeah, mom, that's that's what I do for a living, technically. You know, I'm very good at asking questions and turning them into stories. She's like, whatever. So the phone rings, and, and I know she's not going to love the politics of it. My mother was a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, and this would be bordering on communism. And so I remember the phone ringing and, and him saying hello, are you Holly? And I said, yes, I'm really sorry. You had to talk to my mother. And he laughed and he goes, that's who that was. And I said, well, yeah, I said, it's not Halloween. The witches aren't out. And he thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Cause I figured all I could do is throw myself on the sword and, you know, and I go, and I guess we should just get the other obvious thing out of the way. And he goes, yeah, I said, I, I am older than I sound, but I am not old. And he said, that's okay. I know how closely they've at my interviews. And if they say you're the one, 
you're the one let's go what a cool cool deal it was you know but it's daunting because you know lives in the balance was the record where he really firmly committed to being political yeah right like lawyers in love was kind of going god are we selfish and we need to be better but it wasn't so informed by straight up politics. There's like and, a social economic feel to it or something, but yeah, it's not coming right at it. Mm-mm. And, and you know, it was obviously important to him and it was obviously something that the marketing people are like, really, do you want to do this? And, you know, I think the thing that was interesting about it was it existed at a time when, New Wave was everything. MTV was the deal. You know, you had Madonna and Cyndi Lauper and Duran Duran and the Cars and ZZ Top going, you know, Technicolor. Yeah. What's, so my experience with this over this past few weeks has been a really interesting one because I've I've kind of experienced him release by release. So I've kind of compacted his entire decade of the 80s into three weeks and so it's like i've i've witnessed um i've witnessed the process you're describing right now of like figuring out what you're going to do next and seeing how you fit in and seeing the world change around you and i found things to love on all of them but i always i had a slight like ill-fitting like not sure what's happening here type feel on lawyers in love and even a little bit on holdout and by the time we're on these two albums, Lives in the Balance and World in Motion, it's so different. And it might be that I've like had some time to move past like all the preconceptions I carry from those first five albums. But he feels very comfortable in what he's doing on these to me. I remember thinking, ooh, lawyers in love. Because it felt totally like growing pains. And him being tugged at by his social consciousness, but also how does what I do fit And there, you know, he had the, I hate to say, you know, diving board bounce because you think of Phoebe Cates in the movie. But, you know, somebody's baby was the pop hit that that Holdout hadn't delivered. Right. So he's still flirting with that big mainframe pop stardom thing. And then he's also trying to be woke. Because Lives in the Balance still felt a little bit like a stork with an erector set. (laughs) And, right? It's a lot of elbows and a lot of flapping around. But it also, it quickened. There was an urgency to it. I think it was more coherent. But in the day, you know, a lot of people weren't quite sure. Um, You know, the album went gold which was good. You know, this was the, the land before SoundScan when you didn't have, you know, 14 times platinum. And, and it was good, but I think that everybody had had this breath held, wanting him to be that Springsteen type, Mellencamp type, Petty type, even Seeger type, arena filling guy. And to me, this is the moment where he looked at his destiny and chose something greater. Yeah. They talk about it not selling as much as his previous albums. And he says, I like this album as much as any I've ever done. And there's a certain comfort, a security that I have 
talking about something that I feel strongly about. And whether or not an album succeeds wildly or not, that's intact. And that's kind of what you're saying right there. There's like a total security and comfort in like, hey, I made the album I want to make. Even before however much it sells or what it does on the charts, there's a, a success at least you feel internally no matter what. You know, the greatest quote was, while I was writing these songs, I wanted to be careful not to harangue people. I wanted to talk about these things in a way that was from the heart and not put people off. So even as he was making his commitment to talk about issues that needed to be looked at, he was wise enough to know that if you yell at them, you're going to lose them. Yeah. And I think one of the things that was so fascinating about Lives in the Balance was for America is probably as powerful a declaration of fidelity to this nation as Lee Greenwood's bombastic, you know, I'm proud to be an American. Yeah. Right? As if I really didn't understand that I was just another part of the plan. I went on looking for the promise, believing in the motherland. From the comfort of a dreamer's bed and the safety of my own head, I went on speaking of the future while other people fought and bled. He opened there. And then the third song of the album is In the Shape of a Heart. Yeah. Which is as personal and as beautiful and as romantic as Sky Blue and Black or For a Dancer or... And the amazing thing about In the Shape of the Heart is how palpable the yearning was. And so he created this parallel lane for everyone that had, you know, fallen in love with the romantic side of who he was. Yeah, right? you could pluck In the Shape of a Heart off of any of those albums from the 70s. It's a comforting song to hear at track three on this album that is talking about kind of heavier global stuff. It's looking outward more than it's looking inward. Right. Well, the curve of desire of this song is familiar to us. Right. Right. This is what hooked us. It, it is consistent sonically, for sure, but it also is comforting. Like, oh, yes, this is the man we know. It was a ruby that she wore On a chain around her neck In the shape of a heart In the shape of a heart It was a time I won't forget For the sorrow and regret and the shape of a heart And the shape of a heart And then Candy, which was kind of, like I said, his new wave, sort of, you know, that girl. And it sort of gets into sexual politics and, and objectification. But it also is sort of a freeborn woman kind of song. Yeah. Right? It puts him squarely in the moment of what was going on on MTV and in the world. And for people who are just showing up here or maybe who did running on empty and nothing else, he felt like a man of the time. Yeah. Daughter of a woman who comes and goes candy. Daughter of 
something that he does here in a way that is it's done so economically and like i don't know if it's the kind of thing that if he knows that for america is going to be track one on this album that is his like very very explicitly stated album that's getting into politics and global issues but i'm going to read these lyrics just the first lyrics on the album as if i really didn't understand that it was just another part of the plan i went off looking for the promise believing in the motherland and from the comfort of a dreamer's bed and the safety of my own head i went on speaking of the future while the other people fought and bled Like, I feel like that set of lyrics basically looks back and assesses a lot of the music, a lot of the subject matter of the music that he put out that people absolutely love. Like, all of the hardship and sort of toiling with your thoughts and emotions and everything that he did a like an amazing job of of sort of exploring on those albums. It looks at all of that and says, like, I did all of that. And then like you can come out of that like looking for whatever piece you're trying to find. Even if you find that piece, <laughs> look at the world that look at the world you live in while you find that piece. And you can be back at square one, basically. And I feel like it just sets the table for him to be like, and now enjoy the rest of the album because that's what I'm gonna do here. Having been involved with, you know, Muse and No Nukes and you know, he did a lot of protesting on Indian lands and Greenpeace. And I think that he recognized that to be a patriot, to be an American, to be his parents' kid, it meant to fight for the land that you loved. It meant standing up for the values of the Constitution and to create a dynamic where people couldn't look away. So I think he balances both the urgency and the reality of it's easy to be fat and happy in Reagan's America. And it was. I mean, there was a lot of the me, 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 go, 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 boom, boom, boom. But there was a lot of of creepy stuff going on. And to him, I think this is, like I said, where he decided to, to make his stand and the thing that I loved and it's dated, like I said, I listened to some of the guitar tones and some of the synthesizer stuff. You know, this is the man who, you know, a grand piano at five paces and you're doomed. Yeah. He knew that for this to work, the music had to work, right? Like you needed to put it in, in your, um, trans right. Or your firebird. (laughs) And he delivered that. Like that I think is where, going in a different direction than Springsteen who got starker and more haunted he decided that he was gonna play ball on the court of the day and bring just as much punch it's funny the way you describe that with the Trans Am and with the like yeah we gotta get up and go with this is that my experience listening to these two albums and especially this one was a lot of time over the last few days spent outside, like building some garden boxes and like occasionally drinking some beers. And like, it was great music for that. Like I absolutely love Late for the sky, but it's not what I've would have listened to doing that. 
you know, and you're not pushing people away. You're meeting some people who probably should hear about this stuff, but you're, it was fun music to be listening to in that moment. It was energizing music. Fueled by the urgency of the content, he decided to dig in and, and put the hammer down. And it was, it was kind of breathless. I mean, it was a confusing record on some levels. I remember getting it. I had a 1983 brand new Fire Engine Red Pulsar, which was basically a triangle-shaped beer can. (laughs) And it was stick shift. And I mean, I could get into fifth gear probably in about a minute, 10 seconds listening to this. It was just like, zoom, 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 zoom. And then just lay it down. And, And I've always solved my problems driving. Yeah. Like all the answers in the world are at 72 miles an hour, unless you're listening to this record. And then it's about 84. (laughs) I can remember getting ready for this and like lawless avenues and for America and, you know, lives in the balance holy crap you know and and you know i remember my mother kind of standing in the other room sort of listening in and you know i could hear her snickering because <laughs> she was a hardcore reaganite and didn't necessarily believe in all this but you know there was a point when she stopped snickering and i believe because she only heard one side of the conversation that it occurred to her that the man on the other side of the phone was taking me and what I said and the questions I was asking very seriously. You know, one of the other things that he said that I thought was so amazing was um, I was talking about, you know, he talks about how he got there gradually. And writing in the, the Herald Examiner, I talk about, you know, his his coming into his Central American consciousness. And and I write that it would be a while before Brown would become involved in the overt politics of lives. He found Nicaragua and El Salvador occupying his thoughts more and more. Quote, I gradually began hearing about Central America in the news, and I've been reading books about Vietnam, Brown explained of his growing concern. Then I picked up a book called Salvador by Joan Vivian, and it really shocked me. And he and I descended into a whole conversation about his generation and what Vietnam and the draft meant and how he didn't believe that they were going to send kids to El Salvador, but that it was exactly the same kind of war and that what we were experiencing in the middle 80s down there had already had one full cycle of drama and you know america was on the wrong side of that too dang and you know the other great quote that came out of the conversation and i love this because i think it speaks to that sort of feathered hair george ash jeans get it on kind of energy to the record was um i'd like to prove that you can have a political awareness and still have fun If anything, I've got a responsibility to show people that you don't have to be completely obsessed with political stuff to know what's going on and to have some kind of effect on the rest of the world that you can change the world for the better. 
God, I love that. You know what? Like, I like that I hear that while having listened sort of wall to wall to this out to these two albums over the last couple of days, because it feels exactly like that. Like if you get into lawless avenues, like there's really not a more sort of satisfying hook on a song that it's getting, it's getting into some stuff, you know, but it's just pure. It's like the music, the musical version of that quote you just said. interesting is and i don't have all my articles but the ones i was able to get to without going to storage rockville um headlined their article the pretender gets political um but the cover line is jackson brad leaden's left it's like my mother was a copy editor at rockville and then um the los angeles herald examiner i don't have the cover tease but the headline there is Brown has a message for every man. Nice. I mean, boom. And that was both the beauty of this. And um, if Springsteen and the River, which came before this, obviously, really got into the politic of being a blue collar union guy and recognizing that it ain't going to be what it was, right? And that a lot of people are saying the right thing, but they're not doing the right thing, you know, which would jump forward born born in the USA, which Reagan totally missed. Right. He thought it was an endorsement of the dream. And what he was really saying was, I'm a Vietnam vet and you're screwing me. Yeah. Right. Jackson was doing it in a poppier, foamier, but every bit as rock and roll way. And in some circles you could make the argument that even though jackson was more overt and viewed as that guy the records he was making were a little bit more subversive because they were so pop i remember buying lawyers in love and sort of staring into the abyss going well um okay i felt like he was both lost and disappointed like he looked around and went really this is what my generation is turning into but we were hippies we were children of the garden we we went to woodstock and and concerts in the park in san francisco and we had the laurel canyon thing and now because that was also like the eagles had just done the long run right after life in the fast lane their thing was starting to wilt and he sort of went wait a minute people you know instead of getting the amyl nitrate popper he went straight ammonia <laughs> snap while you're on the dance floor and you're so high from the music that you just you just sort of keep rocking and quietly you're absorbing this wokeness i mean i i think this was the album where the music drove and i think that World in Motion became the album where he really figured out how to graph them together. The actual song Lives in the Balance is is kind of like minor key, seventh note, heavy kind of 
that song is much more serious and explicit in what it's telling you. I've been waiting for something to happen For a week or a month or a year With the blood in the ink of the headlines And the sound of the crowd in my ear You might ask what it takes to remember When you know that you've seen it before Where a government lies to a people And a country is drifting to war There's a shadow but it's also still totally thrusty. Like the way his voice just swoops down, picks up that hook and keeps going. Yeah. Right? Lots in the balance. I mean. And there are lights in the balance. There are people on the fire. Sometimes the greatest rock and roll is urgent and is delicious and narcotic. I mean, I don't know that one precludes the other, but I do think here the music is a little bit more of the driver. And I think that when you go into World in Motion, he's figured out how to put the chassis of the lyrics on top of this really unbelievably great music, you know? And I think that the music is a little bit more diverse, a little less sweeping, and every bit as heavy, Yeah, you know? It, and it also, I think, was a little bit more mature. Yeah, it, 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 and know? it also feels a little more optimistic to me. It feels a little more like, let's manifest a, a better future. Yeah, I mean, I think the work was done with Lives in the Balance. And I think, you know, I I know he did, um, like, very little press for Lies of the Balance. I think maybe only those two interviews. And I think he did a lot more with World Emotion. And I think in the process of that, he may have arrived at the realization that he really does put so much into the songs and the music. Yeah. That it, he leaves it all on, on the on the vinyl. And now just a moment to introduce World in Motion, which came out in August of 1989 and is Jackson Brown's ninth full-length album. It hit number 45 on the Billboard 200 chart, and I unfortunately don't know how it performed in Sweden. The Rolling Stone review for World in Motion was written by David Frick, who I actually just saw in a Wilco documentary I just watched the other day, which the documentary was great, and he was particularly great. This kind of good conscious pop is always the toughest to pull off, but Brown's call to action on World in Motion is also the toughest kind to deny. Even more explicitly issue-driven than its politically charged predecessor, World in Motion is an album of universal truths bound together by a highly personal focus. Brown's stance is also free of gratuitous pop star rage, rooted instead in calm, unassailable reason. He measures the widening gap between the haves and the have-nots while pressing us to pick up the shattered pieces of the 60s idealism and get down to business. Close your distances, drive your angels, he sings on World in Motion, with added emphasis on Bonnie Raitt's guest vocal echo. Lose your fears and meet your dangers. Because he speaks softly while swinging his big lyric stick, 
World in Motion lacks the combative surge of protest hits like Sun City and Peter Gabriel's Biko. Still, there are a million ways for music to say that people deserve better. Better government, better life, better love. On World in Motion, Brown gets your attention by getting under your skin. And so now we jump back in with Holly, who is once again interviewing Jackson Brown, this time for World in Motion. Sun going down in the USA. I was going to ask if I could read you something from Hits Magazine. Please do. Um, yeah, because I, I interviewed him for Hits, which is the inside the music business trade. It's hitsdailydouble.com. And if you want to know what the people inside the business are thinking and mongering about, that's where you go. And it was a really big deal for us to do it. I mean, they gave it three or four pages and also for him to talk to it because he knew the industry was going to see this interview and in setting up the piece um i wrote lives in the balance his last album was a unified work slash social statement about the world in which we live and it eliminated the less than pretty realities facing us all it was a stark work short on brown's lyrical romanticism and certainly miles from early albums like for every man laid for this guy in the pretender World Emotion, his brand new Electra project, should be cause for all factions of Brown's fans to rejoice. A musically engaging album, it balances songs about the politics of the heart with the 41-year-old musician's always strong commitment to the big picture. Nice. One of the beautiful things after he sort of put his flag in the ground was he was able to excavate all the phases of the human heart and the social conditions of being alive and the larger frame of global citizenship. It's kind of gifted me this whole other context in which I'll listen to and explore Jackson Brown because I've, I've said going into this phase of this podcast that these four albums in the 80s are ones – I'd heard actually more of Holdout, but Lawyers in Love, Lives in the Balance, and World in Motion, they're ones whose songs I've, all, I've heard but have not – really 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 dug into and i think like you said it goes it finds its way through the 80s but where it lands is somewhere somewhere that where he's speaking with real conviction electra didn't want to pay for a video for lives in the balance so he actually got a filmmaker friend and he self-financed the video of that, right? So at that point, he did put it all on the line. And, you know, I can also remember, you know, people making jokes about <laughs> Jackson Brown, oh, this is a cause. And, and you know, there was no shame in his game. It was all pride. It was all focus. As the decade closes out, it becomes sort of obvious that some of the great ideas that the Republicans had were a lot of window dressing and not a lot of execution. Jackson knew that, and I think that was a little bit of the fire too with Lives in the Balance and the, the questions. I think by the time he finished touring that and thinking about life and taking some time and continuing his activism, it's three years later. It's the end of the decade. It is obvious that there are some gaps, right? Springsteen has written Youngstown. 
the factories are closing. People are having, you know, a hard time. And we're starting to think about, you know, what is it? Think global, act local. Yeah. Where are we going? What are we doing? You know, one of the things he said that I loved was people are beginning to understand the importance of taking care of the environment, but it's all got to happen faster. Yeah. You know, I open with the quote, I think you have to have hope. I think it would be hard not to be concerned about what's going on because we're running out of time. It's important to understand we've only got a certain amount of time to reverse the, the, the trends and we're throwing our chances away all the time. Yet, great things are happening in Russia, in the United States, and other parts of the world, and that's heartening. People need to be encouraged to find out what we can do, but most of all, people need to understand what they do truly does make a difference. It's cool. Yeah, and so you end up with when the stone begins to turn and the word justice and my personal revenge and I'm a patriot. I mean, all those songs, you know, kind of dance around that theme without, you know, just saying, hey, you know, we can do this. So when you get to lights and virtues... It's, it's, a, it's a blessing and it's a benediction, kind of like the loadout was on Running on Empty. Here's to and virtues. Here's to truth yet to be known. Knowledge. Like if you listen to Warriors in Love, you don't, you don't hear an acoustic guitar. It'll never. I don't think there's a single acoustic guitar on that. By the time you get to these two, it's still more. It feels '80s. Like when you get that that start of For America with the guitar, a super heavily produced guitar, and the like raging saxophone that's just like quintessential '80s sounding. And shafts um, of synthesizers. Do not forget the columns of glistening synthesizers. Exactly. Yeah. But when you when I listen to World in Motion, you still have shades of all that stuff happening. But I can hear, and I actually had to look up today. It seems almost timeless to me. But like, my parents had these Jackson Brown albums on in my house as a kid. But they also had that first Tra- Traveling Wilburys album, and you can like hear. And I think it, that came out within a year of World in Motion, and you could hear this like this is of this is of the eighties. It makes sense that this is of the eighties. But you can hear acoustic guitars, and you can hear very organic analog sounding instruments too, and it's a cool blending of those two things. And, you know, the thing about both Tom Petty and Jackson Brown, while Tom Petty had the heartbreakers and that was his band always, they're very much solo artists who are very much of their band. Right. Like Jackson with section. And then as time went on, um, Scott Thurston came in who I think was such a catalyzer and really, activated that guitar thing of the moment, you know, and that's where, you know, the guitar started to kind of be like those star Wars swords. <laughs> and, you know, the gleaming shaft of guitar light, but you, you, you listen to the band and you don't hear people playing parts, right? It never feels like somebody showed up at two o'clock to cut the chart. They felt like a well-grooved, well-oiled engine that you could drive around the track as fast as you wanted, you know, or in the case of World of Motion, 
it was kind of one of those Le Mans, you know, street races where they weren't on track. They were driving from here to there. Yeah. This is also, I think, the record where Jackson Brown picked up back being Jackson Brown. Like if this album had followed Holdout, it would have made total sense. Do you know, do you know at all the story behind I Am a Patriot? I know it's a cover. I think that I read that it was something that he'd played at. It was a, a product of a thing he played live a lot at a lot of these benefit shows and stuff he was playing in the 80s. I want to say that little Steven had something to do with it, whether it was encouraging him to actually record it or... Um, I remember I loved the song. I loved the repetition. I loved the declaration. And I kind of felt like I'm a patriot, cash the check of everything he was doing with Lives in the Balance. Yeah, that that like entry into the song with the and the river opens to the righteous is just very affecting. And the river opens for the righteous. And the river opens for the righteous someday. America. And you think about what that song's saying. Doesn't it feel like I'm a Patriot is three years later, say five years later, and this is the realization of what For America was reaching for? As I as I sit and contemplate it now, yeah, I can. He really found a way with this album to build on what he was doing and to create a sense of even when it's not perfect, we're making it better. I think a lot of my life I spent my, I've never been the type to very much enjoy. <laughs> you could see me starting this sentence over and over again as I try and find the way that I want to see. No, it's hard. I get it. I'm not, I'm not inclined to really love like a bunch of people in a circle playing bongos and singing about how like everything's wonderful. <laughs> it's just not, it's just not the way my brain is wired. I'm not like a, I'm not, I think it's probably why I like a lot of those sad Jackson Brown albums and a lot of music that's, that's seeking to create good by pointing out what's not good. You know what I mean? Lives in the Balance feels a little, a little more pointed at like, Hey man, there's some fucked up things going on. And my impression of the eighties is that like, like when we talk about the Vietnam war, there's, or, or like the Holocaust, you're like, yeah, that was fucked up there. It's pretty much no defending the other side of it now the 80s still exist i was born in the 80s and sort of became a teenager in the 90s and then an adult in the early 2000s when another war happened this album is a window into that to me because it's 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 not like a declared war in central america it's a country meddling in in central america right it was covert we were talking about the word justice and and you know, I, I said to him, you know, that's kind of a scathing indictment. And his whole thing, you know, is I don't think people make the entire connection. In that song, I try to show the ties between drugs and guns in the hands of kids and where they come from. People need to understand the relationship between where drugs come from and where we conduct our street secret wars, which are kept hidden from the American people who are funding them. 
The same forces have done a lot of other bad things. It's not just Nicaragua. You can't expect that just because the Contras didn't work for the Nicaraguans, the people who were behind the Civil War are just going to go away. that you walk away from lives and balance is, you know, we're pulling out of here to win, right? Turbocharge. World emotion is more like a guy who's really owning his seat at the table and saying, okay, I've got your attention. I'm going to feed you this really tasty meal of all these different flavors and all these different textures. And we're going to have a discussion about what's going on. The other thing that was so smart was, you know, enough of the night and chasing you into the light being so early in the record that he once again, you know, gives you that sense of what you really want from him, you think. But then as the record opens up, the personal becomes a metaphor for the political. favorite song on on world in motion Ooh. um going back to listen to these to get ready for this it's funny because i know that when um i did all the interviews initially i was absolutely about my personal revenge you know i loved that i loved what it said i loved how it felt i loved how it sat. My personal revenge will be the right of our children in the schools and in the gardens. My personal revenge will be to give you this song which has flourished without panic. My personal but revenge. But in a weird way, um, every time I listen to it, something else comes up. I do, I like the tension of world in motion and the way the emptiness becomes negative space that, that really, the way he sort of challenges you that whether you're doing something or not, it's all happening. And you probably ought to get in the game because if you don't, probably the people you don't want to win, they're in the game and they're making things, things go down. You know, it seemed like an invitation to something that you could be a part of. That's something weirdly that over the last like year or two I've been thinking about because I'm I moved up to the Pacific Northwest to an island called Orcas Island. I'm like literally an hour long boat ride where you got to drive your car onto the boat like off from Seattle, actually an hour and a half north of Seattle. I am removed literally from the continental United States. The land that I see from my house is actually Canada. Basically, I've made a lot of new friends here. I live here. I'm a member of this community. But for a lot of that period, I was like very much realizing like I am actually disconnected physically. I am not seeing as many people. 
I think a good amount about social issues and politics. I don't, I don't abstain from being involved in those conversations, but I was no longer coming into contact with the people who I would have those conversations with. And so quite literally, I was not having those conversations. If I'm only having those conversations in those settings, but I'm not ending up in those settings, which to be honest, a lot of us are, are increasingly just on the internet then are we then we're basically just not talking about them at all i just think it's a valuable thing to think about and it's part of the reason i was really excited to listen to these albums cuz they feel to me like his moment of like on a much grander scale than what i just described decide like i'm going to use my place in the world to talk about this stuff and that's a brave thing to do i think by the time he got to world emotion it had stopped being brave i think that by the time he got to world emotion it was just one more piece of who he was he understood the power of how music works as an outboard engine for songs. And he really enjoyed it. He reveled in it. I have a responsibility to be a good musician, he says. I want the music to be great, period. Most of all, the music should be able to stand on its own. The music's also got to be right for the lyrics. Actually, the music conveys the feeling more than the lyrics do. I don't think they're two separate things. But I don't want the lyrics to be so grim that people can't hear what I'm talking about. Nice. And so that's that's from an interview you did? Yeah, I wrote about him a lot on these two records. That's awesome. So so after that first time, so so if I understand correctly, you had kind of like a period where you became a big fan, late 70s, and then spent a few years not only getting into writing, but also seeking out an interview with Jackson Brown got it before lives in the balance and then had continued to talk yes. to him after that. I, I would sooner die than not look professional. And George Dassinger, who was running PR for Electra in New York, I think he knew that. And he knew that if he put me on the phone, I wasn't going to embarrass him and I was going to do my homework and I was going to really create something that spoke truth to power. Because otherwise he was going to get yelled at. You know, being the publicist that puts somebody on the phone with a yo-yo makes for a very long six weeks follow. I am a patriot and I love my country because my country is all I know. I want to be with my family, people who understand me. I've got no trouble with I'm a Patriot is like born in the USA if you don't listen you don't understand that you're fighting for the sanctity and the dignity of your country yeah not just thumping your chest going you know go go USA it's it's a little deeper than that yeah the 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 set of words born in the USA or I am a Patriot sound like yeah hurrah let's go but the songs are meditations on what it means to be a member of a country that you do very much care about, but in caring about it, you care about it like acting nobly and, and being something you can be proud of. Yeah. No, he wrote very much songs that embraced the responsibility, right? Kennedy to whom much is given much is asked. Hello. Yeah. And to me, well, I mean, that's I'm a patriot. 
so maybe he's settled into more of who he is on this album. It's still the case that let's let's sit on the hill that is uh, World in Motion and look ahead at Jackson Brown. In a few years, he's going to make an album that is much more of a return to like inward inward looking exploration of the heart type issues of the 70s when he makes I'm Alive, right? That's still a noteworthy turn toward something a little more close to home, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that after World in Motion, you know, he probably put it out there, figured I'm going to let these seeds grow. I think that he had had you know, his own life and his own, you know, quest for fulfillment. I don't think, and and it comes up over and over in these pieces I've written, being an activist does not mean not having a fulfilling personal life. It does not mean being a father. It does not mean not being a lover. It does not mean um, surrendering the yearning in the heart on on a human level. So, invariably um, he was going to return to that. And I think in some ways the tenderness of I'm Alive is informed by the brutality that created the need for world in motion and lives in the balance. People who didn't get I'm Alive, I think thought it was a retreat, you know, to the classic Jackson Brown. But like I said, I think that the lawyers in love sort of jankiness and the lives in the balance thrust and the world in motion integration of all of that allowed him to go back to what he was more tenderly, more philosophically, more expansively. I mean, too many angels, the way that song opens out so that for the rest of his career, you know, the naked ride home. And I mean, time, the conqueror, killed me and it was equal parts social truth and um that pensive introspective jackson brown that we love when i went back and listened to these records to do this two things shocked me the immediacy of the music and the way you know the word justice or i'm a patriot or even um anything can happen right yeah they were they felt as now to me today as they did then it's an interesting thing like topical music that's rooted in like a something that's happening in the moment like globally can often a, a criticism a lot of the time is like well that's going to feel dated in such an in as the time passes it's not timeless and it's in its way that like heartbreak is or something but what it actually is, is it, it can feel timeless. It just, that might, the time that it might feel um, prescient and something you can directly connect to might come 15 years later, either because the world has found itself back in a similar situation or because you've matured as a person and you've reached your awakening, like the one he's having on these albums. So it, it's, there's a ton to identify with on these albums. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that famous saying, those who don't remember the past are destined to repeat it. But I think that what he was trying to get us to understand with these two records, you know, he's like, there's not that much time every day. We're wasting chances. Um, 
you know, I've even saying that to you, um, the little tiny hairs on my back and running up my neck, they're all in attention. Well, Holly is really cool to talk to you. Um, yeah, you, it's clear to me when I talk to you just about these specific Jackson Brown albums that like you have an intense amount of information and specifics in your head about dozens or even hundreds of artists that have been existing throughout his whole entire career. Like you're, you seem like you, you live in this stuff. It feels to me that way. Yeah. I think um, there's no better compass than hearts well examined in songs. Very cool. Well, I thank you again. Thank you for having me. Um, it was me. nice talking to you. It's so crazy to like talk to you about the kind of the quickening of my Jackson Brown thing and then to come back and talk about the two albums where, you know, I came into my girl rock critic of national standing and, you know, had this, this far-flung conversation with him. So thank you for... Um, Reminding me of who I was when I was becoming who I wanted to be. Gonna be Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Holly for another great conversation. Next week we're doing I'm Alive and Looking East. Both are great. I'm Alive's a straight-up classic. And the guest is David Wilde, who wrote a lot about Jackson Brown for Rolling Stone in the early 90s and even rode around with him for a couple days in a car while they shot the documentary Going Home, which came out between those two albums. And we'll see you next week. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter at Routine Layup. And if you're really enjoying the show, you can go to patreon.com slash after the deluge to support it and get some very cool bonus content. There is a link in the show description. <laughs>